Chapter Seventeen of Malcolm Sage, Detective by Herbert George Jenkins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Chapter Seventeen. Lady Dean calls on Malcolm Sage. Lady Dean wishes to see you, Miss. Sure, the Archbishop of Canterbury isn't with her, Johnny dear," asked Gladys Norman sweetly, without looking up from the cleaning of her typewriter. In her own mind she was satisfied that this was a little joke inspired by Thompson. "'No, miss, she's alone,' replied the literal William Johnson. "'Show her ladyship in,' she said, still playing for safety. "'Dash!' she muttered, as, having inadvertently touched the release, the carriage slid to the left, pinching her finger in its course. William Johnson departed his head half turned over his right shoulder in admiration of one who could hear with such unconcern that a real lady had called to see her. As her door opened for a second time, Gladys Norman assiduously kept her eyes fixed upon her machine. "'No, Johnny,' she remarked, still without looking up. "'It's no good. Lady Deans don't call upon typists at 9.30 a.m. So buzz off, little beanlet. I'm—' "'But this Lady Dean does.' Gladys Norman jumped to her feet, knocking over the benzine bottle and dropping her brush into the vitals of the machine. Before her stood a fair-haired girl, her violet eyes brimming with mischievous laughter, whilst in her arms she carried a mass of red roses. "'I'm so sorry,' faltered Gladys Norman, biting her lower lip, and conscious of her heightened colour and the violet-stained gloves that had once been white. "'I thought Johnny was playing a joke.' Lady Dean nodded brightly, whilst Gladys Norman stooped to pick up the benzine bottle, then, with a motion of her head, indicated to William Johnson that his presence was no longer required. Reluctantly the lad turned, and a moment later the door closed slowly behind him. "'I want you to help me,' said Lady Dean, dropping the roses onto the leaf of Gladys Norman's typing-table. "'These are for Mr. Sage.' "'For the chief?' cried Gladys Norman in astonishment. Then she laughed. The idea of a riot of red roses in Malcolm Sage's room struck her as funny. "'You see,' said Lady Dean, "'this is the birthday of the Malcolm Sage Bureau, and I'm going to decorate his room.' "'I don't—' began Gladys Norman hesitatingly, when Lady Dean interrupted her. "'It's all right,' she cried. "'I'll take all the responsibility.' "'But we've got no vases,' objected Gladys Norman. "'My chauffeur has some in the car, and there are heaps more roses,' she added. "'More?' cried Gladys Norman, aghast. "'Heaps,' repeated Lady Dean, dimpling with laughter at the consternation on Gladys Norman's face. "'Ah, here they are,' as the door opened, and a mass of white roses appeared, with a florid face peering over the top. "'Put them down there, Smithson,' said Lady Dean, indicating a spot in front of Gladys Norman's table. "'Now fetch the vases and the rest of the roses.' "'The rest?' exclaimed Gladys Norman. Lady Dean laughed. She was thoroughly enjoying the girl's bewilderment. "'He's not come yet?' she interrogated. The girl shook her head. "'He won't be here for half an hour yet,' she said. "'He had to go down into the city.' "'That will just give us time,' cried Lady Dean, stooping and picking up an armful of the white roses. "'You bring the red ones,' she cried over her shoulder, as she passed through Malcolm Sage's door, just as Smithson entered with several purple vases. Picking up the red roses, Gladys Norman followed the others into Malcolm Sage's room. Her feelings were those of someone constrained to commit sacrilege against her will. 
Now get some water, Smithson. Water, my lady? repeated Smithson, looking about him vaguely, as Moses might have done in the wilderness. Yes, ask the lad. Be quick, cried Lady Dean, with deft fingers beginning to arrange the roses in the vases. Oh, please help me, she cried, turning to Gladys Norman, who had stood watching her as if fascinated. But, she began, when Lady Dean interrupted her. Quick, cried Lady Dean excitedly, or he'll be here before we've finished. Then, convinced that it was the work of Kismet, or the devil, Gladys Norman threw herself into the task of arranging the flowers. When Thompson arrived some ten minutes later, he stood at the door of Malcolm Sage's room, listening with his mouth, as Gladys Norman had expressed it. When he had regained the power of speech, he uttered two words. "'Jumping Jehoshaphat!' But into them he precipitated all the emotion of his being. "'Go away, Tommy, we're busy,' cried Gladys Norman over her shoulder. "'Do you hear? Go away!' she repeated, stamping her foot angrily as he made no movement to obey. And Thompson slid away and closed the door, convinced that in the course of the next half-hour there would be the very deuce to pay. He knew the chief better than Gladys, he told himself, and if there were one thing calculated to bring out all the sternness in his nature, it was flippancy. And what could be more flippant than decorating the room of a great detective with huge bowls and vases of red and white roses? Regardless of Thompson's forebodings, Lady Dean smiled to herself as she put the finishing touches to the last vase, whilst Gladys Norman gathered up the litter of leaves and stalks that lay on the floor, throwing them into the fireplace. She then removed the last spots of water from Malcolm Sage's table. Lady Dean took from her bag a small leather case, which she opened and placed in the centre of the table opposite Malcolm Sage's chair. It was a platinum ring of antique workmanship, with a carbuchon of lapis lazuli. "'Oh, how lovely!' cried Gladys Norman, as she gazed at the ring's exquisite workmanship. Presently the two girls stepped back to gaze at their handiwork. In a few minutes they had transformed an austere businessman's room into what looked like a miniature rose-show. From every point red and white roses seemed to nod their fragrant heads. "'I—' began Gladys Norman. Then she stopped suddenly, arrested by a slight sound behind her. She span round on her heel. Malcolm Sage stood in the doorway, with Thompson and William Johnson a few feet behind him. Slowly and deliberately he looked round the room. Then his eyes rested on Lady Dean. "'How do you do, Lady Dean?' he said quietly, extending his hand. For a moment she was conscious of an unaccustomed sensation of fear. "'You are not cross?' she interrogated, looking up at him quizzically, her head a little on one side. "'You see, it's the Bureau's birthday, and—' She stopped suddenly. Malcolm Sage had dropped her hand and walked over to his table. Picking up the ring, he examined it intently then turned to Lady Dean, interrogation in his eyes. "'It's from my husband and me,' she said simply. "'You have such lovely hands, and—and we should like you to wear it.' Without a word, he removed the ring from the case and put it on the third finger of his right hand, which he then extended to Lady Dean, who took it with a little laugh of happiness. "'You're not really cross,' she said, looking up at him a little anxiously. "'To me they stand for so much, Lady Dean.' said gravely, that I am not even speculating as to their probable effect upon the faith of my clients. And Malcolm Sage smiled. It was that smile Gladys Norman saw as she closed the door behind her, and which Thompson 
resolutely refused to believe. End of chapter 17 End of Malcolm Sage Detective by Herbert George Jenkins Recorded by Anna Simon in 2010